Trader, Trade Trader, Cobb Crypto Podcast. This is the Trader Cobb Crypto Podcast. Good day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the TraderCobb Crypto Show. Today, I have got a man with a huge amount of experience, uh, not just in the blockchain world, but in other areas of business, emerging markets, and huge amounts of early stage finance in technology. James Haft is with us today, and I'm really interested to actually go through and speak to him about what he's working on now, where he's at with the space, and where he sees it going. So thank you very much for your time today, James. I do appreciate it. My pleasure. So, James, do you want to give us a little bit of an introduction on yourself? Because, I mean, look, I, I've not done you justice at all. Your bio and your experience is very, very long and very, very broad. If you wouldn't mind giving the listeners a bit of an understanding for where you've come from and what you do, that'd be fantastic. Sure. Um, so I've been doing uh, emerging markets business, uh, really finance business, for the last 30 years. I started out at Bear Stearns. Uh, where I quickly re- became, the, became the head of investment banking for Bear Stearns in Asia uh, out of Hong Kong. I took public the first company in China to list the New York Stock Exchange in 1991. And then I went to ING Bearings and I ran uh, equity capital markets for Latin America for ING Bearings for a couple of years. And then in 1996, I realized that the emerging market I really cared about was technology, not, a, not countries, but that Emerging markets tend to follow discernible trends and predictable trends. Uh, and that the trends that I had seen across the markets in Latin America and Asia, I expected to actually start to see uh, in the development of the different markets that were coming in, in technology. So computers, voice over IP, e-commerce, uh, HTTP, uh, you know, all these things were, were rolling into the, into the society and having changes but politically, socially, and economically. And I started to focus just on how, uh, how the digitization of information impacts um, business and life, uh, and then looking for the, for, the, for the social as well as economic opportunities that came out of that. So I was lucky enough to have a few opportunities. Like I, I, I ran the first company to wire buildings with a single Ethernet strand. Uh, that took out millions of dollars worth of dedicated equipment from the building and gave the tenants a RJ45 jack so they could just plug into a global network. And then we managed their network for them. That was called DAVNet. It was from Australia, actually. And I ran the U.S. business and, and ran their business in Hong Kong. Uh, and then I founded Condo.com, which is the largest site uh, in the world to, to market, aggregate, and, and market condominium listings. That was in 2005. That company still exists. Uh, and then I started to focus on working with other companies that were uh, in growth models focused on the digitization of information. Uh, I founded the largest accelerator for new internet businesses in Latin America. It's called NXTP Labs. It's formed in, in 2012. We now have 175 companies that we've incubated. And uh, the World Bank is an investor in that, in that fund, in that accelerator. And about a year and a half ago, I, uh, I decided that uh, that that blockchain and crypto and the decentralized economy was the next big wave that was going to roll through. And it was actually going to be bigger than any of the other waves that, that I had seen in my lifetime. So I decided to dedicate my life to, uh, to, to, this, to this space. About six months ago, I formed a partnership with a gentleman named Lou Kerner, who's one of the world's leading writers on crypto. He's a former Goldman Sachs analyst, 
he's the guy who discovered Facebook when it was a private company and introduced it as an investment to the investment community. Uh, he's a well-known venture capitalist bringing Israeli businesses back to the United States. Uh, and for the last seven months, he's been the leading writer on Medium relating to cryptocurrencies. And he and I got together to form Crypto, uh, to form crypto Oracle. Crypto Oracle is a, a community-first venture capital firm that has formed a significant community around the decentralized people who want to, uh, to help bring about the decentralized economy. And so we've, we created Crypto Mondays, which is now in 15 cities, around 1,500 to 2,000 people every Monday get together around the globe in different cities uh, to talk about crypto and to, to form community under our name. We form Crypto Tuesdays for Social Good, which is the first Tuesday of every month in New York, and we're expanding out of New York, uh, where basically we get leaders who are using blockchain technology and decentralization to uh, make the world a better place to live and a better place for our children. Uh, we hosted uh, and host are the co-hosts of Blockfin at Lendit. Lendit is the largest alternative investing conference globally, and Blockfin is a sub-conference inside of that. We just had 4,000 people attend at the Moscone Center in San Francisco, where we had 40 stages and 180 speakers talking about the decentralized economy. It was a big success. We're very proud of it. Um, and we do conference calls and meetups around uh, to socialize ideas and people uh, to help create the community. And the community-first approach has been tremendously beneficial for us because in the decentralized economy, it's not so much about competition as it is about collaboration. Um, and so we've woven ourselves into the uh, neural network of this community, and that's enabled us to become one of the leaders for uh, advising companies who are looking to tokenize or to use ICOs or cryptocurrencies and decentralized uh, platforms, and also has enabled us to uh, consider raising a large fund that would be tokenized to, uh, to address this market. So it's safe to say, James, that uh, you are headfirst within this space. And I've got a couple of things to bring up on what you just said. Um, the Crypto Oracle and, and the VC side of things, the word community came up. Now, those two words, VC and community, don't tend to work hand in hand. Um, it tends to be a very different environment when we talk VC, not so much a community-based VC environment. Now, can you expand on, on what you mean by VC and community working together? I, I'm a little bit baffled. Well, first of all, I don't agree um, that historically that they haven't been the same. Some of the most successful VC groups, actually I think almost the, the most successful have been those that who have been able to form communities uh, uh, of communities of investors, community of, of CEOs, uh, portfolios that act as communities. So if you look at first round capital, or you look at Y Combinator, uh, or you look at 500 startups, or you look at um, Andreessen Horowitz, those are all those are all organizations that have created communities around themselves where people are benefiting by being part of a large, an enlarged group. So I think that when you get to the top of the pyramid and you get to the people who really have vision looking forward, yeah. and they think less about competition and they think more about collaboration and they think more yeah. about just sharing as ways to, to grow. So, you know, the, the crypto community and the decentralized community, it's about open source software. 
It's about talking about what you're doing and sharing opportunities and, and standing on each other's shoulders uh, to yeah. benefit from each other's activities to create the next great thing, which is you know, built on often open software, uh, which was developed by other parties, developed by, the, by the, using the intelligence of the crowd. Well, mate, I, I can't argue with that. I mean, look, one of the most amazing things about this space, from my point of view, is I've never worked in an industry that's been so collaborative, so happy to help, so eager to work with one another. The uh, the, the very thought of competition, uh, it, it's not. I mean, it is there, but it's it's not something that I consider to be. You know, it's not. It's not. Dog eat dog. It's a world where people are happy to help each other because we want to see people that are involved and deeply involved within the space, whether they are deeply involved in terms of understanding the tech, deeply involved, you know, they work a full time day job and they've invested in the space, whether they're raising ICOs, whether they're in the tech or whether they're running a fund. All the people that I've found that are truly true believers within this space are very keen to work with good people. And I think it's because you know as well as I do, James, that there are a lot of people out there. It's a very young, very immature, very irrational uh, market. There's That's why we see the wild swings, the speculation, the, the, the you know, massive emotional ups and downs. Uh, it, we do see a relatively young uh, group of investors coming in. And often, I mean, I, I know for certain that there are some people that, you know, they'll look at the the uh, you know, Financial Times in, in Sydney, for example, and they'll say the, the euro against the dollar moved two percent, and they'll say, "Are you kidding? Is this is this a joke?" They're just not used to traditional markets, and I think one of the challenges that this market has, and I'm keen to know your point of view on this, James, is that it needs to grow up a little bit, it needs to become a little bit more mature. And we talk about this a lot on the show with a lot of different fund managers and guests that we have. What's your view on this space? You, you've been around the dot-com. You, you saw it, you were in it, you did it, um, you, know, you watched it occur and you were there at the forefront. We've got something relatively similar and only because it's a new emerging market. What do you see that similarities and things that we need to find within the blockchain community and the, and the crypto asset space, because it's not just cryptocurrency, obviously, what do we need to do or what does the market need to do to grow that maturity and move to the next level in your view? Um, I see a lot of similarities between where we are now and the mid-90s with the internet and e-commerce um, that people know that the promise of what this could, of these changes could mean, but they're not sure how to get there, not sure how to trust, not sure how to implement. So some people just become doubters because that's easier. Uh, some people try and integrate it and don't understand and fail. Um, and so it's kind of a messy period of collab of of people trying to either defend where they are or grab something they can't see. And so it turns very hit or miss, um, and it's a little messy. You know, uh, it's creative destruction. And so, you know, there'll, there'll be some pets.coms and there'll be some frauds, and there'll be some apples and Facebooks and Googles, right? And so, um, I think we're just at this early period where, where everything's starting to take shape and where the where the where the levers are starting to be developed. And so, I think that you know you need to stay aware. Uh, try and be smart in how you employ the changes and, you know, stick to what you know uh, and use these changes as tools uh, to improve your business and to improve your life and to improve the world around you. Yeah, I, can't, I can't argue with that at all. James, when we talked earlier, you talked about um, what, what you're doing in the space, the 
potential for you to work uh, and invest within the space. We'll, we'll leave it at that. But for you, okay, somebody who understands investing, you can look at a company, you can look at its balance sheets, you can look at its, all the details are there, the, the public knowledge as it is a public company. It's much easier to find a, you consider an overvalued, fair-valued or undervalued company in traditional markets. Now, we need to see traditional investors enter into this space. Eventually, there's, there's no really any rush. But what we're struggling for right now is the means to value companies that are in this space. I mean, we've seen it before. Like we looked at market cap, right? The market cap of XYZ is a billion dollars, but it hasn't turned a profit. It hasn't got a working product. These are concerns that I carry in the space when a market has got such a huge amount of money or its value is perceived as very, very large, yet they're not really doing anything at this point. Do you think a lot of people are missing the actual business case? Because the tokens are wonderful. Yes, they're, they're wonderful, and everyone focuses on the token. But the token needs to be linked back to the business, and the business needs to, in fact, actually be a business that turns a profit. What do you see as somebody who invests in this space with your 30-odd years of experience? How do you make your decisions based around the lack of information that we have on cash flow turnover and debt cycles? Well... I think this is one of those areas where the future might be a little different than the past. Yeah. Okay. Um, I don't think the value, I think what we're building now are not necessarily businesses, right? I mean, is Bitcoin a business? Um, right. Is Ethereum a business? Fair I don't point. think so. It's a platform, right? So uh, there are businesses and there are businesses that will be funded using tokens. But how does that change to say Facebook? Well, that, again, the future of Facebook might be a decentralized network where everyone owns their own information and where a protocol is put about for you to share what you want, when you want, how you want. Right? And, and, and we, it might we value Facebook there, right? Right, but, but, but I might, again, Facebook's a corporation. It's centralized. It, was, it, 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 it takes your data um, and, and uses it in ways you don't want it to be used, yeah. and then uh, and then you know uses it for their own purpose uh, and creates their own profit, which has nothing to do, which you don't participate in, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, so, in a decentralized model, we would have all have uh, a wallet that looks a lot like um, you know a, an iOS app or a computer app, and we would store our own data locally. Um, or in the cloud, but in a way that we control it. And then we would see who would like to see our information and we would permission people specifically. Uh, and we would, uh, and if someone wanted to use our data for their purpose or for their, or for their business, uh, they would need to be permissioned and most likely would need to offer us some sort of compensation for it, which could be a revenue share and how they use it. Uh, it could be a free service. Uh, it could be introductions to other people, but but the transaction will be more transparent and the value won't necessarily accrue to a centralized organization. You know, theoretically it will accrue to the community, which is what I was going to say to you is it's a little different now yeah. in the past. So when you look at some of these, you know, what we're investing in platforms, protocols, and exchanges, right? These might not be companies. These might be communities, and it might be that the way you value a company in the future might be the way that you value a company in the future is that you 
look at how big is its community and how engaged is its community and how valuable is it to be able to participate with those people in the community, right? And it might, so, and then you might be able to participate in that through owning, you know, the, now today it's a token, it'll be called other things in the future, but you'll have, you know, you'll have the ability to participate in those businesses that are benefiting from your participation in the community. Um, so I would, so, so I do say you have, need to look a little bit away from this corporate aspect. I think in the future, what you need to value is actually not the company. And I think most investments will not be in the company. I think most people that start these businesses or these concepts will not offer people equity or participation in their company. They will offer them participation in their community. And then what you need to do and need to learn, and this is where, where things have to change, is you need to learn how to value tokens, not businesses, right? You need to understand what we call token economics. You need to understand, yes. you know, here's a token that has a right, and there's a supply and a demand curve for them, and they're created and destroyed through certain modalities. If I put this all together and I interlay it with the, uh, the activities between humans, and as humans will create demand and supply uh, and, uh, of, of the token, and also as machines start, I believe machines will be the primary participants in most of these, hmm. uh, most of these networks, not humans. And the cryptocurrency is perfectly, uh, 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 perfectly um, created to allow for machines to communicate with each other with, with incentive mo models built in. Uh, and so you really become responsible not for understanding the cash flow and, uh, you know, and indenture, you know, the indentures and, and other documentations that go around contractual understanding. But instead, you have to look at the economics of these tokens. And I believe that that's an art that's going to come into, into and a science. It's so come so into does, does, does that mean that we take this emerging market as it is right now um, and if we go down that pathway and eventually get to that point that you're talking about and I don't disagree with you at all does that mean that we stop looking at the tokens as a vehicle for investment do we have to de no break down the way we think and stop trying to be capitalist and, and trying to make money is it does it stop becoming a tool for speculators for investors and start becoming more of a tool for society and a better way of life or well, can we have both i think you have both okay there will be tokens that represent um participation in economic enterprises right yeah um there will be tokens that represent 10 percent of the revenue of ibm i believe that all assets will be tokenized and that tokenization will be the, the the main vehicle for creating liquidity in the markets right the idea of having paper transactions and certificates that get lost in the back room of some investment bank some or a bank somewhere that nobody can find that you have to read the small print that may not even be attached to that certificate to know what the rights are um, you know I, I think is just a modality that, that has already passed its prime um, and so the idea of, of reducing transactions down to smart contracts uh, and enabling people to understand what they get, you know, in an immediate sense and being able to transact without intermediaries uh, is the future. Uh, and what they're transacting then becomes the next question. And some of those things will look exactly like stocks and other things will look exactly like assets like gold and oil uh, and silver and copper uh, and intellectual property and 
participation in other people's intellectual property. And other things will look like currencies, you know, and what is a currency, right? What is the U.S. dollar? Hmm. What's the Chinese renminbi, yeah. right? Why do we believe in those things? Why, you know, there's the, 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 the value of, the, of who even knows how many U.S. dollars are in circulation? How can we even do a supply and demand analysis of, a, you know, of a dollar? I believe that the rise in the value of cryptocurrencies represents the devaluation or, or, or inflation, I'm sorry, the, you know, the inflation of, of, of fiat currencies, right? The U.S. dollar used to buy, you know, an entire food for a week yeah. for a family, you know, in 1920. And now it represents two eggs or, yeah. or a fifth of a quart of milk, right? But if you look at a Bitcoin, what a Bitcoin's done over the last 10 years or eight years, whatever the number is, you know, one Bitcoin used to buy less than a stick of gum. And now a Bitcoin buys, you know, 100,000 sticks of gum or whatever the number is, right? So, uh, you know, so if you, one of the, one of these two is appreciating and one of these two is not. So with you right now, I mean, obviously you, you've got your fingers in quite a lot of pies. You're, you're a very well-connected man. You, you've got a successful career leading up to this point in time. And you've got nothing to prove to anybody. You do what you do, and you're very good at what you do. How do you, if you're making a decision to invest right now uh, within the space, within the blockchain community, within the crypto asset world, what do you think or what areas of the uh, community and the evolution of this space Using the blockchain, what areas do you think hold the most promise for our short, medium, and long term? Well, first of all, I think that if you want to get involved, you need to go out and buy a fraction of a Bitcoin, a fraction of Ether, uh, you know, an amount that you're willing to lose, to, to amount you're willing to afford for the price of your education. Correct. Right? So that could be ten dollars, could be a hundred dollars, could be a thousand dollars. It should be enough that you'll pay attention to it, and enough that if you lose it, it's not going to change anything in your life. But you've got to get in there and do it. You need to understand what people are talking about. And you need to, to see what the power is of having direct transactions and direct communications. It is a, uh, uh, it is a paradigm shifting concept. So A, I encourage people to check it out. B, it's so diverse and it's so new and it's so confusing right now in this, this Cambrian explosion that we're having of, of all these changes going on, and none of which, we don't even know which ones work, and and how and how it's going to exist in the future, and how it's going to be adopted by society. That I think it's a it's a mistake for someone who's just starting who has a day job uh, to even try and pick individual uh, coins or companies. Um, I would suggest a portfolio approach. I suggest actually in the beginning the simplest would be an index fund of the top ten or twenty coins. You know, if you have the belief that this stuff's going up and that you want to have exposure to it, buy into a portfolio, a, a liquid index fund, uh, and follow it and see what's in there and see what starts to catch your interest and move your way in, you know, a lot following the lines of your passion and the things that, that, that you become interested in, the things you're willing to learn about and have your own opinion on. Uh, but in the, in, the, in the short term, it's, it's, it's a portfolio approach, either an index or a VC fund. Uh, but you're now being offered the ability to invest in these areas in, uh, in through tokens that are liquid. So you don't need to make a long-term decision. There's no penalty to going in and out. And if the market goes up, you'll succeed. And if the market goes down, you'll have been a part of your portfolio and you've learned. Um, so that's how I would start. Um, personally, 
I think it's too early to be focused on applications. Um, I think that people don't know um, how the, 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 the platforms that are needed to make this economy, this decentralized economy work, do not exist yet. All the things you're reading about, even Bitcoin, uh, are running on centralized servers um, through the existing Internet um, and, are, and are basically working from, uh, from Amazon Web Services, uh, Microsoft Azure, or, or Google Cloud. So essentially, even though they're mimicking and have the, have the personalities of decentralized platforms, they're not truly decentralized yet. Those platforms are rolling out and being tested now. And that'll happen this year and next year. And then once you have those, those platforms, you'll start to have protocols that work on top of them, which really become the operating language of, the, uh, of, of this decentralized economy. And you have to wait and see which one of those are successful and start to gain community and gain adoption. And then once you have those, you can start looking at individual applications. So our belief is to look at the platforms, protocols, and exchanges. Uh, exchanges are relatively simple reason to look at them. You know, if you think, you know, if you think the market's going to grow and you think that more of these things are going to trade in the future than the trade in the past, then it's a good chance that the exchanges are going to have more and more profit over time. So we're, so we're focused on those exchanges. Um, so that's our philosophy and what we're looking at. Well, that, that makes perfect sense too, because there's actually a model there that it's, it's easy to see what, where the income comes from, what the business does. It, it makes yeah. perfect sense. One of the things that I've noticed in the space at the moment as a trader, it, it is, I mean, obviously the volatility is insane, which is wonderful uh, for someone who trades. The frustration that I have is that it appears that many of the, what we call the top platforms, right, don't seem to have invested in creating an, uh, a platform that is built for traders. They seem to be putting more time into onboarding more clients. For example, if I'm going to raise an order, if I'm going to trade euro against a dollar, let's say, I can have a stop loss, entry, and target, boom, in one order. It's very difficult to do that in crypto right now. And it's just testament to the growth of the industry. And you look back and you look at their business and you go, well, you know, they've, they've onboarded, you know, so many people that they had to stop for a while. Remember all the broker, all the platforms shut down. They said, we can't take anyone else on. They were getting flooded. It was insane, right? It was absolutely insane. Now, rather than go in there and go, right, well, we need to create a good product for the people to have access to the market so they can use the tools that they need, they've gone the opposite direction, which is how can we get more people in? And from my point of view, as a trader, it's very frustrating watching that. Now, of course, there's a couple of things we need to consider. One, the platforms for charting. I'm, I'm a technical trader. You look, I, I read charts for my technical trading style. I also fundamentally invest. When you look at the type of software that we have in this market right now, the, the type of platforms that we have in this market right now, they are in absolute infancy. I, I would not even look at any of these and consider them if I was trading in traditional markets. It just goes to show how little this space is, how far we have to grow. And I find that to be fascinating, exciting, and um, something that it, it does frustrate me, James. It really does because I, I feel that a lot of these platforms are going away from what the people need and more to what the business wants. Are you seeing in this space, because we do have a lot of talk, and as you said, and you know, some of the projects you're involved with about changing the world and making it a better place and making things more efficient, less risky, um, minimizing the, the hacking abilities, there's a lot of things within the space that makes this world safer, less hackable, and 
more responsible in a certain regard. But there's also the other side of it. Are you seeing a lot of money grabbing going on right now in this space or is it starting to evolve beyond that in your view? So, listen, all, the thing that's common between all the emerging markets uh, and all my experience over time is that all these markets, the participants in all these markets are human beings, right? So what we're really not talking about isn't emerging markets. It's not really technology. It's not really... Um, China and Asia and Latin America, we're talking about as people, right? And we're talking about how people react to changes in, the, in, in politics, society, and the economy. And it turns out that people are pretty predictable, right? And in this phase of, of capital formation, you're, you're, we are prone to, bo to um, boom and busts. Um, and we are prone to people trying to misuse and abuse the trust of others yes. Uh, to seek gain. And that doesn't make this different or better or worse. It just makes it the same, actually, as everything else. It's just a part of the evolution, right? It's just how it works. You can't have change without having winners and losers. You know, this you know, as much as we might wish it was otherwise, you know, utopia hasn't been, exist, hasn't been created yet. I'm not sure we'd even want it, right? Um, so... So the answer is yes, there are bad actors. Yes, there are problems. Yes, there are mistakes. Yes, there'll be failures. Some of those failures will be intentional and some of them will be with the best intentions. Some of those failures will lead to the biggest successes and the most important developments. But we just don't know which one, which is why you have to have the failures. So all this is just the part of the process, uh, you know, the painful process of how we get there. Um, and so, you know, what I'm looking, what, what, the way I look at this is that you have to keep your head on square. You have to be focused on those things that you know and take risks that you can assess. Uh, I would, you know, try and limit your existential risks as much as you can uh, and make it so that you can survive through to make it to another day to the extent that this, this activity is a learning activity and not the one, you know, that creates your retirement fund. Yeah, absolutely. That's a very wise bit of advice there uh, to Focus on what you can afford to lose as opposed to what you can afford to make. A lot of people look at the wrong end of the stick. You must take risks. You must take risks. You cannot have change without risk. Yeah, that's right. And, and we are at the forefront of an amazing industry. And, and the blockchain space is a disruptive technology. It is still so small. The market cap is very, very small. The ability for this to change the way that we do business, the way that we see the world, the way that we do so many things, is it's so apparent. We do see a lot of people wanting and, and deciding that they'll bury their head in the sand. They'll turn around and say, Bitcoin's for money laundering. It's for buying drugs, all, all these things. And it's quite... Interesting to watch that because you look at these people and you go, look, you've got an opportunity here and you're deciding for yourself to just shut the door on that. But with every emerging market comes big risk and people do understand that. They, they watch the charts go up and they in the news they'll see Bitcoin go and explode and then they'll be saying things like, I wish I had a bought it. Then when it falls, they'll turn around and go, ha ha, I'm glad that I didn't. It's a very emotional driven marketplace right now. It's a very interesting space. As I speak to different people all over the world in different walks of life and different levels of understanding, whether it be the tech side, the fund management side, or the overall where we're at side, I am very, very 
astounded by the amount of positivity and the different perspectives that I get to hear from different people in different fields. And James, you've, you've brought a completely different aspect in. You're definitely looking more so at the world-changing ability of the space, not so much the capitalist side of it. And is that because you've been around long enough and you can see where, it at, where it's at, or is it just an ideolo- ideology that you like to subscribe to? So it's very funny. So I, I talk now about, about the how this is a political and social movement that's creating the economic change, that's creating the technological change. Um, And I really enjoy that because I feel like the world has come back to where my mind has been over the last 30 years and where I've grown to believe in what's important. I I think having children, you know, uh, I have children now 20 and 17. I think that's been an important part of shaping, you know, thoughts about what are we, what are we leaving for their kids, for our kids and and for our kids' kids. Uh, but the fun, funny note is that sometimes when I speak, there's people in the audience who I've done business with in the past because I have a pretty big community of people that I've, that I've worked with and started businesses with and you know, competed with and, and, uh, uh, and partnered with. And um, it's very common for them to come up and say to me that what I'm saying now is the same thing I was saying 20 years ago. But 20 years ago, they didn't know how to respond and mostly people laughed at me. And that 20 years <laughs> you know, ago was the internet? Is that what you're saying? It was the internet. Oh, it, was, uh, it was. It was. It was the, you know, I believed in the democratization and, and, the, and the intelligence of the crowd, um, and in uh, in the in open source software, uh, and in and in and in collaboration as a society to, to lead to positive outcomes, um, and in abundance uh, and in sharing. And I've always believed in those things and supporting each other. Written that. Each you, other. You've documented that. I mean, I've read some of your articles, James, and one of the things that, that did capture my attention that I, I really love and I believe in and I want to have, that. I've, I've got two young children of my own, so I, I buy into that whole let's make it a better world type thing. One of the things that you said is what we need is a society where people can trust each other directly. Now, that's a wonderful thought, James. It's a beautiful thought. But is it a bit right. optimistic and a bit idealistic, do you think, or do we – Uh, Are we headed that way? It it may be, but sometimes, listen, first of all, no one said transition is painless and easy. Uh, So I don't make predictions about how the transition happens. Um, The second thing is I believe the blockchain and, and the idea of decentralization and the decentralized economy uh, gives you mobility so that you can vote with your feet and vote with your dollars easier so you're not tied into these centralized authorities who are using you as the, as the product, who get their power from their ability to usurp your optionality, right? And so I believe that that deconstruction brings the power back to the individual. Um, you know, when you – we're all now in this, quote, post-fact world, right? where you have the, the U.S. government has spokespeople that talk about alternative facts, yeah. whatever they are, yeah. where, you have, where we have political, you know, we have, I'm focused on the U.S., but it's the same around the yes, world. Yes, correct. Yes, uh, absolutely. You know, we have politicians who say one thing and then literally contradict themselves in the same sense. We live in a world of then, absolute BS right now. Right, and so everyone knows yeah. that, right? And what happened is that our generation – has basically become desensitized. And we're like, you know, oh, grow up, that's what the world's like, yeah. right? And the younger generation is looking at this and saying, I, I don't know, I don't think that's how it really has to be. I, you know, I, 
much a younger person is much young, much more likely to be colorblind and to care less about, about about how their religion separates them from other people. Religion can be just as valid today as it was Correct. ever. But I think that the people who are coming up are saying, you know, it, just because I'm Jewish, which I happen to be, doesn't mean that I have to have a problem with everyone who's, you know, who's a Palestinian or who's Muslim, you know, or who's Christian, you know, that, that, that we don't, def- that the younger generations don't define themselves that way anymore in those tribes. Bo- they belong to the human race. Uh, and the modalities and, they believe that. and the, they believe that. Yes. And the modalities of communication uh, that we are handing down to them, you know, they, they don't fit in the way that the, this younger generation looks at the world. And I think that that's, you know, what's part of the thing that's driving the change. We know now that when we watch TV or we read a newspaper or we listen to the radio, uh, we know that we really have to be careful about what is a fact, yeah. right? That, that, that it's not like you can read the New York Times anymore and just take it, it yeah. as vanilla. And I love the New York Times. But, but information now comes with a purpose. So it's not this benign thing called a fact it's information that's meant to sway you, to have you look at, to filter other information in a yes. different way. And, and, and so that's caused us as humans to have to be defensive and to need to have these, uh, these protections around us and how we deal with people and information. And that's like, it's like your force field in Star Trek, right? <laughs> so you got to power the force field. I can't use I can't use my warp engines because all the engines going to the force field, Captain. Yeah, right. right? And, and so we're spending so much time on the force field that we can't pay attention to being nice to other yes. people that we don't have to trust that we can't form communities that go across that look for people other than people that look a like us. A society right? that actually embraces human beings as opposed to to, right. to, to, to whatever. So, yeah. So blockchain is truth without trusting. I don't. I no longer need to know you, who you are or the other things you think. You point to a fact, piece of information on a network. We both look at it together. No subjectivity. We exactly. It's binary. It's yes. It's true. No. It's and you, false. You just touched on something that uh, I, I. I'm an investor as well. As, as I've said, I invest in all sorts of different bits and pieces, but this is a space that I've invested the most of my time, money, energy, everything. I've been, I'm building businesses in the space. I'm investing in the space. I'm trading the space. I'm super passionate about the space. I'm trying to give the space a bit of a, a voice to the outsiders that come into it and don't really know what it is, hence this interview. I'm there at the forefront trying to do as much as I possibly can to grow it and be a part of it because I believe in it so, so, so much. One thing that I have been fascinated by is the rise of the millennials. Now, I'm 34 years old, so I'm not young and I'm definitely not old, but I, I fall outside of that millennial demographic just, right? Now, the millennials, these are the younger people, the generation below me, right, the twenty mid-20s approaching their 30s, that sort of chunk, that, that, that decade, yeah? 20 to 30 space right now. Now, these are people that have been that have grown up with baby boomer, post-baby boomer parents that have probably got a bit of smarts in their own head. They've grown up in a different world. They've grown up in a technology-based world. These people have grown up with uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. They've had social media. I was at the very beginning of social media with things like ICQ um, and, you know, uh, what was it, the um, the music one. Anyway, the, the point I'm trying to make is that this generation is smarter. 
They've got more information. How they disseminate this information, read it, learn it, and listen to it. And like you said, how do they believe? What do they believe in? Now, I think a lot of this generation is invested in this cryptocurrency space. Now, this generation is a huge voice. It's the future. It's a massive voting force. What they're doing is effectively guiding us forward for the next. 40, 50 years. I'm really excited by that. And not just as an investor. As an investor, it seems very clear to me that you go where the mass is going. If the younger generation is, is heading this way, then you get in first and, and then eventually you'll do well from that. But the interesting thing is, I mean, they, they are a, a generation of entitlement. There is no doubt. Um, I'm obviously not throwing a blanket over everybody, but there's a lot of entitlement there. Um, but there's also everyone wants everything fast, instant gratification. You put a photo on Facebook, you get a like. You put a photo on Twitter, you get a, I guess a like, whatever it is, right? In cryptocurrency, it's also helped to fuel an interest because it is. You get in one year, you'll get the same cycle that it takes seven to eight years, a full market cycle is typically seven to eight years, right? It's a bit longer recently, but you get that in a full year. They've got this very low attention span but they've created a world in which they can live within that everything does happen quick and they can have instant gratification. And I do believe that that is going to help to fuel this market because they're the generation that have the, the smarts, they've grown up with technology. They're the Silicon Valley people. They're the brains that are being drained out of Silicon Valley into blockchain. And it's very exciting yep. from my point of view as an investor. I agree. I, I couldn't agree more. Look, James, it's been an absolute pleasure having you. I could talk to you all bloody day about this space and where we're going with this and, and your thoughts. I really do appreciate your time. I know you're a very busy man. You've been here, there, and everywhere, and uh, no doubt you've got a lot of good stuff on the cards. Mate, I look forward to speaking to you again down the track. Is there anything you would like to part with? How will people get in contact with you, find more information about you, what your projects are? How can people find more about James Haft? So our website is... Uh www.cryptooracle.io and uh, that's where you can learn about our community events it's where you can learn about the companies that we're advising uh, and our other uh, our other ventures in the future to try and create tokenized opportunities for people to participate in this economy uh, and I'm always I'm on LinkedIn and I always look forward to people who uh, who want to learn uh, and honestly who can teach me so thank Mate, you. Absolutely. And I have learned a great deal from you. It's an absolute pleasure to have had you on the show. I really appreciate your time. I look forward to speaking to you in the future. And uh, hopefully I'll bump into you in New York as I am here at the moment for the Blockchain Week. Mate, have a great day. Have a great week. And I look forward to speaking to you again soon. Thank you very much, James Hafton. Thank you, sir. The Trader Cobb Crypto Podcast. Check out TraderCobb.com because experience matters. 